Welcome to the Plant Witch Podcast, where we enter together into the web of life in all of its many seen and unseen dimensions. I'm Erin Schrader, owner of the Rebel Herbalist, and it is my honor to hold this portal to the other world. Let's enter, shall we? Hello, and thank you for joining me again this week on the Plant Witch Podcast. I so enjoy making these recordings. Again, I'm outside today watching the butterflies and the bees on the anise hyssop and listening to the cicadas, watching the finches pick the seeds out of the chicory. It's a really, really beautiful morning here in South Central Pennsylvania in the United States. So wherever you are, wherever you're listening from, I hope that you can get outside today and look at a detail of life around you that maybe you haven't seen before. Yesterday I was sitting with Marigold, and this is a plant I have been seeing all around gardens my whole life and I tend to not really gravitate toward common garden annuals. Um, In fact for years I actively disliked common garden annuals because they were too common and I'm pretty rebellious in nature. But I'm starting to establish new and different and deeper relationships with these common annuals like petunia and begonia and pansies and marigold and allowing myself to see them more deeply just because they've been sort of hijacked by the ornamental garden industry doesn't mean that they don't have a depth so I I use that as an illustration for um, the topic of this week's podcast, which is spell work and the ways that spell work happen in our lives without us even realizing it. Um, Sort of the common under our nose magic. Just like marigold is a common overlooked magic. Marigold speaks to us deeply of the ancestors. It's used in ancestral ceremony uh, in Mexico and Central America. Um, It speaks to us of the sun. Marigold is um, a sort of a nod to Mary, Our Lady, the goddess, and her resplendence, her radiance. So Marigold carries this, this warmth and radiance, uplifting cheerfulness, and is a balm for our creativity and our unique self-expression. It can also be used medicinally in teas and tinctures. It's carminative, so it can help with digestive um, imbalances like heartburn or gas, stomach aches. It's also very antibacterial, so it can be used topically as a wash or in salves, um, and also internally for upper respiratory infections, intestinal infections, and so on. 
So this overlooked garden plant also has medicinal properties as well as magical ones. There was a local school teacher who came into our shop this week and she was talking to us about exploring witchcraft and spell work alongside of her Christianity. This is a topic that people can get really, really passionate about. Um, And it's a controversial topic, as most things related to religion are. But as we talked, we started sharing the ways that magic already exists within Christianity. The ways that spell work are already happening in Catholic churches and Protestant churches all over the world. There was just a few years ago, I was attending a local non-denominational Protestant church here in South Central Pennsylvania. And the pastor gave everyone in the congregation a river rock. And he asked us to write our worries on these rocks. And at the end of the service, he collected them and he was taking them to the Susquehanna River where he would invoke the Holy Spirit to carry our worries away. That is magic. That is spell work. That is ritual. That is witchcraft. There are so many examples. The way we take communion in in Christian churches And then there are little folk examples, folk traditions, leaving cookies and milk for Santa Claus, an offering to a deity who will will bring us blessings, blowing out a candle at the birthday and making a wish. That is very much a magical spell. Leaving our teeth for the tooth fairy to come and give us money for them. Uh, a very folk magic tradition in my part of the world anyway. We use these rhymes as children. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. It's an incantation to deflect back um, negative energy, words that are meant to hurt. So there's so much magic so much folk magic that happens all around us all the time. But when we claim witchcraft, we claim spell work for ourselves as a way that we are in the world, that can come with a a lot of baggage. When we step over that line from the sanctioned magic that happens within a church or the folk magic that happens within our family traditions, and we start to craft our own magic, or we start to deeply identify as someone who wields magic, there's a threshold that we cross. And for many of us, that threshold can feel dangerous. Because our ancestors were so careful to survive within the social constructs of their time, there's a lot of deep, familial fear around 
magic um, because of the atrocities of the Crusades and the Inquisition and the witch burnings. There's so much fear. And just because of the, the ancestral trauma of colonization, being outside of the mainstream was a recipe for oppression, suffering, incarceration, and death. And so crossing that threshold into accepting for ourselves that we are magical beings and that we work in the ethers, we work with the magic of this world in a way that combines our will powerfully with the will of life and the will of the divinities and the nature spirits and the land itself and the ancestors. We have to sort of pierce this membrane of social conditioning that tells us it's viscerally unsafe to work that kind of way in this world. So in the witchcraft circles that I've been in for the past 20 some years, we've called that coming out of the broom closet. When we deeply accept our identity as a magical person, not only inside ourselves, but we start to tell the people around us, our friends, our family, our coworkers, we start wearing our pentacle necklaces or we start carrying our tarot card handbag or our gemstone necklaces and bracelets or doing oracle readings for people over our lunch break. There's sort of this this bubbling up excitement about what we found to be true. And then we step across that threshold where we're no longer hiding that truth from the world. Where we're claiming the magic we found in ourselves. That's such a powerful time in the lives of magic practitioners. Um, I dream of a time when we celebrate that together, where communities come together to sort of celebrate and uplift the um, emergence of a new magical person in the community. Um, I'm hopeful that will happen someday, you know, sort of like a baby shower or a, or a bridal shower or a coming out party, you know, just, I imagine, you know, welcome to the magical circles and we all bring a little stone or a feather or some kind of gift for the emerging magician. But back to spell work, because I could talk about that for a long time. I imagine spell work to be really unique to each individual practitioner. Of course, there are lineages of magic. There's high magic, there's Wicca, there's Italian magic, there's... Southern Conjure, um, there's powwow magic, fairy magic, so many ways and traditions and containers for tapping into our own innate magical senses and combining those senses and our will with the threads of magic that exist in the world. 
both in nature, in the cosmos, in the non-linear realms, in the non-local realms. So how do we find the magic that is right for us? It seems to me that it's helpful to start in a tradition that is well-grounded and well-practiced. Even though Wicca is a new tradition founded in the early 1900s, it is a tradition that is grounded by many practitioners all over the world. And so it's a place to get started, to learn to call the quarters, to learn casting a circle and creating sacred space, to begin learning about deity and pantheons and correspondences and color symbolism and number symbolism and oracle and tarot. And Wicca is a container that can hold a lot of that exploration for newly magical people. And it's where I started. I was initiated into Wicca in 2001 at the ripe age of 19. And that is how my official magical journey started. Even though I've been what I am my whole life, having that container of an identity and a community gave me the sure-footedness to more deeply explore my magic. In the past 20 years, since being initiated on the Wiccan path, I've really found my own way of doing magic. I don't typically call the quarters anymore. Um, I don't cast circle anymore, although I see myself in, in a circle held. Um, my magic can happen anywhere now. It doesn't have to happen at my altar, though I always keep many altars that I feed with my prayer and with candles and incense and offerings so that I keep spirit close. I have altars in the house. I have altars on the land. I have altars in the places that I frequent. I have altars in my car. <laughs> to me, an altar is just a physical representation of a deep inner truth that the veil is thin and that we can call magic to ourselves everywhere, anywhere. And making an altar just reminds me of that. And it gives me a tangible, practical place to encounter the magic that is always present. That is so much of magic to me, tying the worlds together. So we can do magic without touching a tool or an instrument of any kind. It can totally be an internal experience where we alter our state of consciousness through breath work or meditation or music, drumming, chanting, dancing. And then in that altered state, we can work our will with the will of the divinities to create our magic without any props, no candle, no incense, no flowers, nothing. Nothing is necessary except our own intention. And having physical representations of objects that we touch with our bodies 
helps us to ground that magic into the world and to infuse that energy into the objects and also to allow the objects to infuse our working with their own energy. That's the power of correspondences. So if we're wanting to work with Mars, that fiery, ambitious, groundbreaking energy, we could bring carnelian stone onto our altar. We could bring marigolds. We could bring nettles. We could bring an arrowhead. We could bring fire in the, in the form of some sort of lamp. Um, there are lots of ways that we could represent that energy that we're, we're wanting to commune with to work our will. And by intentionally inviting those objects into our sacred working space, we're asking those objects to lend their energy, to lend their truth, to lend their vibrational essence to our workings. It seems to me that the beings and the creatures of this world love to lend themselves to our workings when our workings are in alignment with the will of life itself, which is growth and abundance and diversity and cooperation and just this explosion of creativity. That is the will of life. Um, also balance, of course. And when our workings are in alignment with that, so many helpers show up to lend themselves to our work. Whether it's an animal that crosses our path carrying a specific message for us, or a plant that pops up by our back door that we didn't put there intentionally, or a book that comes across our way that has just the answer that we're looking for. When our magic is moving in alignment, we become sort of the center of a web of energy where the rest of the world around us leans in to be a part of this consciousness that we're creating through our magic. Similarly, when we are working baneful magic, casting curses, creating hexes, and we're doing that from a place of revenge, unbridled rage, unprocessed trauma, then the beings who are in alignment with that energy begin to draw near us into that web. And we become a beacon for that kind of energy. And so I'm always careful about hexing and cursing and any kind of baneful magic, ensuring that it's coming from a place of alignment with the will of life and revenge and unbridled rage is not in alignment with the will of life from what I've seen in my years of studying the cycles of life on this planet. There is destruction, certainly, but destruction on this planet makes way for new life. And that is always the place I come from when I'm doing anything baneful. I first get myself settled to the point where I can see that what I'm asking for is for the highest good of all, including the person that I'm working towards. If I'm casting a binding spell, 
It's so that that person can bloom into something more cooperative with the will of life. More in alignment with diversity and beauty and creativity and cooperation. This has sort of become my new understanding of karma. In Wicca, we are taught the rule of three. And ever mind the rule of three, what ye send out comes back to thee. The idea being that whatever energy we put out into the world bounces back at us. I think there is some truth to that. But more importantly, is whatever energy we pull through us changes us. And those effects are immediate and long-lasting. So if we are channeling healing energy through us, that changes us into a healing presence. If we are channeling abundant energy through us in our workings, that changes us into an abundant being. If we are channeling creativity through us, that changes us into a creative being. If we are channeling destruction through us, that creates a destructive being. So in our workings, it serves all of us to be mindful of what kind of energy are we trying to create on this planet? What kind of energy do we want to walk in as a magical being? What do we want more of here? The ends do not justify the means, as, a, as an old saying that I was taught. It took me a really long time to understand what that meant. But I understand it now. Getting what we want is the end. Getting there is the means. And it's part of our integrity and our wholeness as magical practitioners to live in the energy that we expect to feel at the end while we get there. And we have been shown this method of achieving in this colonized world where it's okay to hurt other people to get what you want because you deserve it. The world owes you something. And whoever's the toughest, the cleverest, is able to get what they want, and they've earned that. And that is a worldview that is coming into question in really big ways right now. If we all just take a moment and imagine, who would I be if all of my goals were accomplished? How do I think I would move in the world if I had everything that I wanted? What am I really going for? What feeling state am I really going for? And then do the work necessary, the healing work, inner healing work necessary to begin walking in that way now. The doors open. That is the greatest magic I have seen 
to, to make my life a sigil, to make my life a symbol for what I'm drawing to myself, to walk in the way I expect myself to walk when my magic has manifested. And I invite you to consider the same kind of walk. As this world leans in toward us with its magic, it is inviting us to a really powerful co-creative experience that combines the technology that we've created and the deep wisdom that we're capable of. We just have to answer the call. Thank you for joining me for the Plant Witch Podcast. I'm your host, Erin Schrader. I'm an herbalist, a mother, a holistic nurse, and a practitioner of the ancient ways. You can connect with me between episodes at therebelherbalist.com or on Instagram and Facebook at The Rebel Herbalist. Thank you for joining me, and it's time to come back to life.